right, all right. If you would stand with me, please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 2, finishing up chapter 2. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 18. And really quickly, as you are turning there, I don't typically like to do announcements at this moment, but I just want to do a quick one because this is really important. I don't want to forget. I forgot a couple of weeks ago, but on June 2nd, June 2nd, uh, here, it's a Wednesday night. It is going to be at 715. We are going to be hosting a ministry called Christians United for Israel. And a friend of mine, he is a, a long, I mean, I've been friends with this guy for over 20 years. And if you've ever had questions on what the church, not, not America, what the church's role should be and its thoughts about Israel, this is going to be a great time for you to come and hear what the scriptures have to say regarding our thoughts about Israel and what the scriptures have to say. And there'll be time for Q&A. So if you have questions, you know, that you, you, you might have, that'll be a great job, a great opportunity for you to do that. So again, mark your calendars. We will put it in realm. We're going to send out some, you know, um, information on that for that night. But again, that's June 2nd, the first Wednesday in June. And so you are in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. If you got it, say so. And it says this, and it says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have <clears throat> a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent for her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him, I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church's Lord. We thank you today for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for your wisdom, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts now, that our ears would be open, that our hearts and eyes would be fixed on you, that our minds would be stayed on you. God, remove distractions, and may we not solely hear truth. May we respond to it in faith, in obedience. We pray these things believing, and we ask this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, 
Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we are continuing in our series in the book of Revelation, and we are dealing with the church of Thyatira. This is the fourth church that Jesus is writing to. And so just to give you a little bit of history, I don't have any pictures um, this week to show you. Thyatira was a relatively small city, and so it wasn't as glorious as Pergamos was. But nonetheless, it's, a, it's an important city. There's a church there. I love what one writer said, he said, this is the smallest church, and yet this is the largest letter. And so actually he used the most words to speak to the smaller church here. And when you look at um, the context here, it is just like the other books that we see, there is, or the other churches that we see that have had a commendation, but then also a rebuke and a call to repentance. So just to give you a little bit of history on Thyatira, the first time that you will hear Thyatira, if you're reading through the Bible, is in the book of Acts chapter 16. In the book of Acts chapter 16 and verse 14, you're introduced to a woman by the name of Lydia. It says that she was from Thyatira. She was a seller of purple, and that purple was a specific dye that the city of Thyatira was known for. Uh, they were in the city of Philippi, and there was a prayer meeting that was going on, and Paul was there, and she got saved. She was the, actually the first convert, the first European convert to uh, uh, Paul in that missionary journey there, and she asked Paul to stay with them. She, Paul decided that they, he and Silas would stay. They stood in Philippi, and then after they stood in Philippi, you guys should know the story, they were arrested, and they prayed and worshiped at midnight, and the window, I mean, the, not the windows, not the windows, but the chains came off of all of the prisoners. The doors were open because the place was shaken by the power of God. Hallelujah. We need those types of movements today, amen? You know, today is the day, and my wife opened up and let us know, today is the day of Pentecost, and that's not about Pentecostals, right? It is the day of Pentecost. It's the 50th day, right, after the resurrection, and so the when you think about Pentecost, and this is an aside, but when you think about Pentecost, for 40 days, Jesus walked the earth with his disciples and showed himself to over 500 people, making himself known, and then all of a sudden something happened. He ascends into heaven and they're thinking, okay, I guess you resurrected. It's time for the kingdom to come. And he says, no, no. He goes up into heaven. But before he goes to heaven, he tells them, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. And if you, and if you followed along in the text, what did the text say? The text says, and suddenly, right? And, and when you look at that word suddenly, it's like all of a sudden out of nowhere. But for 10 days after Jesus ascended, the disciples were gathered together and about 120 of them remained of all whom Jesus spoke to and the spirit of God came down and moved. And what we see throughout the book of Acts, not just on the day of Pentecost, but you see throughout the book of Acts, the people of God praying and seeking the Lord, and as they are pursuing him, God responds in supernatural ways and begins to do things that are beyond our capacity and ability. They trusted in him, and he moved on their behalf. And, and church, I submit to you today that what we need in this day, we don't need something weird, we need something supernatural. 
We need something powerful to happen in this day of the kingdom of God moving in this earth. And so ultimately, we see these things in the book of Acts, and we look back at the book of Acts as history, and we see this as, as to me, an example for us of what should be happening in the church. Nonetheless, to jump back to Thyatira, it is probable, possible, that this church in Thyatira was actually born as a result of Lydia getting saved and then going back. If you look at a map, and I didn't, like I said, I don't have a map for you, but Philippi is a pretty far away from Thyatira. In our times, it's probably maybe, a, I would say, a couple of hours drive or something like that. But if you look at those times, it was a long time. They didn't have vehicles. Hello. Right? And so it was, a, it was a little trek for them. And so we would assume because this church is born and this church is, a, is important. That's the only mention that we have. So we can assume that. There's no guarantee that, but it's possible that that happens. So again, where is Thyatira situated in Turkey? You guys remember the map that we showed you of where uh, the, the, the seven churches are? And you even saw it in the video there. But it's uh, about 40 miles southeast of Pergamum, that glorious city. It actually ended up, because Thyatira was so small, it ended up becoming part of Pergamos later on. But it was about 40 miles southeast of Pergamon. It was a Lydian city on the, on the edge of Mysia. It was under Rome since B.C. 190. So it became a Roman province in that time. It was a center of trade, especially, again, of this royal purple because of that dye that Thyatira was known for. And by the inscriptions, you can see that there were trade guilds that were in there, so it was a trade place. The chief deity in this city was the god Apollo, was the chief deity. There was no real emperor worship in this city. It was a center of activity. And you remember when we look back at the church of, of Pergamos, there was the Nicolaitans that were there. And what they believe is that this was a place where they continued their influence in particular through this woman by the name of Jezebel because you'll notice that Thyatira was rebuked for the same thing, kind of, that the church of Pergamos was, which was eating food sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality. And so both of these things were occurring in these churches. Just this woman by the name of Jezebel is mentioned in the church of Thyatira. And so there was this, this um, licentious living and idolatrous living that was experienced in Thyatira. And this church is known as the corrupt church. The corrupt church. The church that was corrupted because of compromise. But look at this. I want you to think about this this morning. When corruption is allowed in the church, authority, influence, and impact are diminished. When corruption is allowed in the church, authority, influence, and impact are diminished. You see that Jesus tells the church of Pergamos one of, their, uh, one, one of the blessings they would have if they overcame is that they would rule with him. And as the church, as the people of the kingdom of God, we should wield, we should carry a certain authority within our lives. We should walk with a certain level of influence in our life. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be liked, but the power of God's kingdom and his spirit should be moving through us. However, when we allow corruption in, what happens is we lose that authority 
We lose that influence. We lose that ability to impact the culture the way that we should. So the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, progress is not a replacement for purity. Progress is not a replacement for purity. What I want you to realize here, let's look at these words that Jesus speaks to this church. He says unto the angel of the church, verse 18, in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God, revealing himself again as God the Son, who has eyes like a flame of fire. Again, we're going back to chapter 1, who has his feet like fine brass. He's revealing himself to them. Remember, his revelation supports his message. And so what is he saying to them as we looked at in chapter 1? Eyes like fire, his omniscience. He knows all things. Those penetrating, piercing eyes of the great judge who looks through us. You know those people, right? That when you're talking to them and, you know, your you know, smoke is blowing and they're like, ah, I see through all that right there. They, you know, they're, you're telling them everything is okay and they're like, nah, man, what's going on? You know, those people that, that, that you see that there's their penetrating look. Just think about that ten times. The, 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 the revelation of this one with eyes like fire, his omniscience. And then we saw his feet like brass being the omnipotence of God. He is the judge who knows all and who will judge justly. That's what he is telling them. He says, I'm looking at things as they really are. I'm seeing things as they really are. And I will judge things as they really are. He is that judge. He's letting us know. He's letting the, and again, we need to remember who's he writing to. He's not writing to some sinners on a corner. He is writing to the church. He is writing to the people of God. He is writing to the saints. This is who he's writing to. He's writing, he's not, again, he is letting them know, I am the true judge. He goes on to tell them this. He says, I know your works, love, service, your faith, your patience, and as for your works, look what he says. The last are more than the first. So what does he tell them? He compliments them for progress, does he not? He's letting them know, hey, man, I know your works. I, I, know what, I know your works are done in love, right? I know your works in love. Those should go together. Rightly motivated works. You're not doing things because you want recognition. You're, do thing, you're doing things because you love. I, I recognize your service, you are ministering to the needs of others. I recognize your service and faith, a rightly focused. So I'm recognizing all of the, I see what's going on. And I love that at the end, he says, and as to your works, the latter are greater than the others. He's saying, hey, there's progress. The problem is they're lacking purity. There's progress, but there's a lack of purity, as we'll see in his rebuke. And here's what I want you to know is that we should always, we should always, in life in general, we should always check our progress, should we not? If we are at, a, at work, right, I think that we should check our progress. We should see how we're doing, right? I mean, when you grow up, you're in school, right? You get something called a progress report. Hello. It lets you know 
where you are. It lets you know how you are doing. If you are employed by someone, typically they do quarterly, sometimes, you know, sometimes quarterly. At minimum, they usually do an annual review. And what does that do? That lets you know your progress. So you should be checking your progress. Hey, can I say something? As a follower of Jesus, you should be checking your progress. You should be looking, hey man, are my works growing? Are my, is my love growing? Is my service to the Lord growing? Is my faith growing? We should ask these questions, right? We should be seeing like, hey, are, am I growing in these works? But here's what I want you to know is that we should always make sure that we don't neglect purity just because we're making progress. Oh, well, I'm serving. Okay, but are you walking in purity? Hey, you know, I'm giving. I give a lot. Hallelujah. <laughs> but are you growing in purity? See, it's, it's not an either or. It's a both and, right? We should be growing in our devotion to Christ. When you think about someone, and for the men in the room, if you ever thought about being an elder or ever felt a calling to be an elder, one who oversees the church, helps direct the church from an eldership position, right? Women who, do, who, who desire to be ministers in the church, who desire to serve in, in, in ways. Here's what we have to realize is that there is calling, right? There's competence, and there's character. Those are three things that are really important, right? You got to have a calling, right? When you think about an elder, an elder is one that has to have a desire as a, as a man. If you don't desire to be an elder, if I don't desire to be a pastor, I shouldn't be a pastor. Hello. I shouldn't desire to be a pastor for the wrong reasons. But nonetheless, if I don't have a desire, I shouldn't do it, right? Because there's plenty of folks that probably do it because they think it's an easy job. Hallelujah. <laughs> lies, lies, lies. It's not an easy job dealing with people, dealing with hurt, dealing with brokenness, trying to motivate people that have so many other things pulling for their attention, right? That's not easy. You know, praying for, trying to be available to, I mean, that, that's not an easy job. That's not just sitting back drinking lemonade all week and then showing up on Sunday and saying, hey, let me give you three points in a poem, right? Like that's, <laughs> if it's that, but it's not. So there has to be a calling there, there, and not just a calling that you want to do it, right? Because here's the other thing, y'all. You, you, you have to be sure that you are called, right? When someone is called to do something, there is certain gifting that comes along with that calling. Like I can say, hey, I want to do this, right? For example, I could say, hey, I want to be a worship leader, hallelujah. But if I cannot sing, hello, somebody, we're going to have an issue, are we not? Y'all going to show up every week to some guy who is like off tune, like they're playing an A, he's singing an E. I mean, that's just crazy stuff, right? Like, you know, can't keep timing. Like there's certain, right, there, there, there's, there's certain things like when you are called by God, there's certain gifts that are there. So you see that calling, but then that leads us to the next thing, which is competence, right? So I can be a person, right? David was one who was skilled when Saul was having this demonic thing that was going on with him. What did his advisor say? Hey, let's get a skilled musician, not just a musician, but a skilled musician. So what that means is that from calling, I should be growing in competence, right? I should be, again, I'm checking my progress. Am I developing in this area where God has gifted me? I have to ask that question. But the most, can I tell you the most important 
area. The most important area that I need to be making progress in is not just in my vocal ability as a worship leader, not, not just in my ability to preach and communicate as a pastor. It is in the area of character. As I am growing in my competence, as I am following my calling, I need to make sure that my character is growing, that I am growing in what is going to sustain me in the moments when weakness comes. That's going to sustain me in the moments that I want to throw in the towel and say, man, enough is enough. I don't want to do this anymore. See, my character has to be being developed. It's not just the other two. Well, hey, man, you're amazing, bro. You can sing, you can preach, you can teach, you know, you can engage with people. But wait a second, are you growing in character? And the problem in Thyatira is that they had a bunch of stuff going on for them, but they were lacking in this area of purity, which brings us to our second point. Say this with me say, false prophets. Or false teachers will lead people into God's judgment. False prophets or false teachers will lead people into God's judgment. Again, the issue in Thyatira was not their works, it was not their love, it was not their service, it was not their faith, it was not even their patience. They were persevering. The issue was this woman by the name of Jezebel. That was their issue. Their issue was there was a woman who was a self-proclaimed prophetess. Who probably, let's keep it 100, she probably had some kind of calling, right? She probably had some kind of competence because you're not just going to get up, right, and tell people, hey, I'm a prophetess and they're just going to follow, right? You're, some things are going to be appealing and attractive, right? to make people listen to you. So maybe they were sitting, and obviously the context in those times, the way they did church was a little bit different, right? It wasn't like a guy getting up here just communicating, but there was more of a communal dialogue. And you know what happens in communal dialogue? You ever been in a Bible study? Hello. <laughs> you ask questions, and then all of a sudden someone pops their hand up, and you have that, you know, that star student, you know that one, right, that always has the answers that you're glad they're there because you don't get called on because the teacher loves when they talk, right? Just to give you a note from the teacher's side, the teacher doesn't want to just hear from the star student. The teacher wants to hear from every student in the room but what happens is someone, and, and, and Jezebel, potentially, we don't know exactly how this happened, but it's probably she got people's attention because she started saying things that sounded right. She started communicating in a way that was attractive. You know, have you ever been, you know, you, you see folks, you know, they, they, they have the after message message, you know, those people. You know, the after Sunday, sir, you know, after Bible study, they want to sit around and have a, they don't want to answer questions in class, right? But they want to talk to you about, they don't want to ask, but they see that you have some knowledge. And like, hey, can I talk to you? And all of a sudden, there's this after message message. Jezebel was probably that person. She was probably that person that stood out among others. And all of a sudden, she began to teach and here's what we have to realize. If we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, we look back at the Old Testament. There's a woman by the name of Jezebel. She was the wife of King Ahab, and she was ruthless. This woman was a manipulator. 
She was a dominator. She was an intimidator. She was all of the definition of what witchcraft is. Hello. She was that person in the middle of, uh, of Israel causing them to fall into terrible idolatry intimidating Elijah. Elijah slayed all of these, the, the prophets of Baal up on a mountain one moment. Jezebel was so ruthless. After this guy went up there with 500 men, right? Prophet, I mean, they, they may not have all been men, but like 500 men slayed them all. Jezebel says, man, the way that you killed them, I'm going to kill you. Homeboy ran and hid. That's how intimidating she was. That's how ruthless she was. And so when we look here at the text, we find this woman by the name of Jezebel. Look at verse 20. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow. Say, because you allow. Because you allow. Let's pause for a moment. The church of Thyatira had a choice. The church of today has a choice. You can either allow false prophets, false teachers to continue, or you can stop them. It's your choice. It's the choice of the church today. You know why we like false teachers? Because all the stuff we see here, they're easy to follow. You just got to do some external stuff and you're good to go. You just got to do some external things, and you are okay. They're going to make you feel good about yourself because you allow, and look what he goes on, that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Again, I want to point something out to you. He doesn't say you allow her to teach and seduce homeboy on the corner. That is not what he says. That is not what she's... What what he says here. Oh, he, you, you allow her to teach and seduce all of those people outside. No, no, no. He said, you allow to teach and seduce my servants. His servants are being deceived by this false teacher, by this false prophetess. They are being led by her. This Jezebel was a self-proclaimed prophetess who led through false teaching and seduction. Again, that manipulation, that twisting of words. It's so important for us to realize that this thing that we're looking at here, we, we, we see her, what was she appealing to? She was probably appealing to the mystery religions. Just to look really quick at verse 24. He says, now to you I say and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan. As they say, I will put on you no other burden. But he, he points out there, have known the depths of Satan. There are these mystery religions that are going on. Remember all of this idolatry and all of this worship that is happening in these cities. And, and, and probably, like just like in Pergamos, we talked about this last week, it is probable that, this, that, that, that her teaching was palpable because of what? Because, hey man, we got we to fit in. We don't, we don't need to be so, you know, sticks in the mud here, right? Like, like we've got to fit in with our community. We've got to be part of what's going on in our, we, 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 have, to, we have to be relevant, right? And, and we, we can't just be separated. Wait a second, the church is supposed to be separated. 
The church is supposed to be holy. The church is supposed to be that stick in the mud when someone is running towards sin. There should be something that stops people from running. There should be something that causes people to say, wait a second, this life that I'm living, there's got to be something more. That's supposed to be the church. The church is supposed to be this voice, but when you allow false teaching and false prophetic words to enter in, you fall into God's judgment We see that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. See, church, we have to understand something. When the enemy can get us to compromise, look at these words that he he says, because these are these words of judgment. When the enemy can get us to compromise, we are going to end up in this place of corruption, which leads us into this type of judgment. Look at verse 21. Start there. It says, And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Some of your translations may say she did not will to repent, didn't want to repent. That's the way that it should read. I gave her opportunity to repent, and she was unwilling to repent. Why? Because she loves her sin. If you love your sin, you don't want to turn from it. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, check it out now, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And so it's not just judgment on her, but it's on judgment on those who are given into her teaching and are unwilling to repent. Verse 23, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Those are some strong words that Jesus brings to this church. He lets this church know, listen, if you do not repent, those of you who these words should be shaking to your core, if you do not repent, Judgment is coming to you in a a powerful and terrible way. He calls us to repentance. Sexual immorality and idolatry, these things are not a new phenomenon in the church. I want you to notice that. This is not something new, right? Like, like, like this sexual revolution that we, that we see happening in our culture, in our world, the, 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 the idolatry of sex and, 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 and just the, this is nothing new. The idolatry that that we see in our world, this is not some new phenomenon. The problem is the complicity and the complacency in dealing with it. That was the issue then, and that is also the issue now. It is that they are not, they, they are not happy just, you know, they, or they are. They're just happy just being like it is. No big deal. We can just have sexual immorality all around the church. We can, listen, we can worship Jesus and some other things. Is that okay? That's not okay. How, how do we worship other things? Wait a second, because we, we, need, we need to get specific. See, in that particular time, it's clear they were, they were eating food sacrificed to idol. They were participating in the sins of their community. They were worshiping in ways that didn't honor God. But then they also were committing sexual acts of sin that were ungodly. And so in our days today, listen, we have people that are in our churches who are denying Scripture, 
Denying God's word as being sufficient. Denying God's word as being what God means it to be. And so we tolerate stuff, whether it is divorce, we tolerate that. Whether it's immorality, you know, people living together, having sex before marriage, we tolerate that. We're okay with men and men, women and women, and, and, and love is love. Like, like these are the kind of things that we see present day. Thyatira, I'm sure, had similar situations perversion in culture like I said last week whenever you allow idolatry whenever you have idolatry reigning and running rampant in culture guess what immorality sexual immorality always follows and you know what's the problem with man is that man doesn't know when to stop because our appetite for sin continues to lead us further and further in perversion. And guess what? If you can get a preacher or a teacher to say, hey, it's okay, all you got to do is just say a prayer. All you got to do is just, you know, ask for forgiveness and that's it. Wait, wait, yeah, yeah, this is true that God forgives, but man, you can't just live in sin. Come on now. You can't just live unrighteously. You can't just live how you want to live, and that's okay with Jesus because he died for your sin. No, 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 no. That, that, that's not the right mindset. Let me just turn with me really quickly to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I want you to see this scripture. I remember reading this scripture, and, man, I read, I read this way when I was a young Christian, didn't even really notice it. And a couple of years, this verse just jumped out to me. First, it's 1 Timothy chapter 5, and it's verse 24 and verse 25. And this is in the context. I want you to get the the context. The context of this is in dealing with elders, just so you know. This context is dealing with elders, those who are in an eldership role. I, we're just going to read it. You know what? Let's just go to verse 17. We'll go to verse 17. We're going to read this whole context. Look at what Paul tells his son in the faith, Timothy. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So he starts off positive, right? He's like, hey, you should honor your pastors. You should honor your elders. You should honor your overseers, right? Because they're doing a work, and they're laboring in the word, and so you should honor them, right? Beautiful. Verse 19, it seems to me very positive. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses, so he says, listen, don't just let somebody come and say, hey, the pastor is doing this, the pastor is doing that. There needs to be some kind of confirmation of that, right? This is, this is right. You can't just come and just say whatever you want to say because if you just say what you want to say, you kick somebody out of the church as a pastor or give them a bad name, and there's no proof of that, right? People get grudges and things like that. That's nothing new. Well, what does Paul go on to say to his son? He says, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Now, let's pause for a moment because we don't want to hear that, right, especially as a pastor. So what they're saying is here's how accountability works. If the pastor is found to be in sin, if the elder is found to be in sin, guess what? You don't just tell him in private. You rebuke him in front of the whole church. That's how you deal with the pastor's sin. Why? Because the pastors, the teachers, the elders' sin is, is something that is public because of what? Because they are before the church leading. Not all of us should be teachers. That's what the scripture says. 
Verse 21, look what he says. says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without partiality, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. There again is purity. He's saying, listen, don't just anoint someone. Don't just accept someone in fellowship. Keep yourself pure. Verse 23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for, and your, for your frequent ill infirmities. And again, my friends, this is not some kind of justification to go and get drunk. This is simply the fact that they did not have like Tums and stuff like that back then. Come on now. They didn't have medication back then, and so that's what Paul is communicating. Hey, take something else for your stomach. You don't have, you know, Pepto-Bismol and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> My Lanza. <laughs> you don't have any of those things that are going to be produced later on, but for now, this is how you deal with it. And these are the verses I wanted to get to. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Let those words sink in. No one gets away with anything before the presence of the one whose eyes are like fire. It may seem like someone got away. Let me tell you the worst type of judgment, the type of judgment that makes somebody feel like, hey, I'm living, God hasn't struck me dead, I must be okay. That's the worst kind of judgment. Because that's the one that's going to come into eternity and hear from God, apart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Those are the things that we have to see. And so when the writer of the book of Revelation is communicating about these people there, it's important for us to realize that delayed judgment is not denied judgment. Just because we don't see this judgment on this side of heaven doesn't mean judgment isn't coming. Church, that's why we have to remain pure. The third thing, and I'm getting ready to wrap up here. The third thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, amidst corruption, purity, and perseverance are expected. Amidst corruption, purity, and perseverance are expected. Verse 24 to verse 25. He says, now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. But hold fast what you have till I come. There's that perseverance. For those of you that have not partaken, for those of you who have not known the depths of Satan, for those, see, this is the third group. Uh, Jesus speaks to three different groups as he's dealing with Jezebel. He speaks to Jezebel about her sin directly. He, he rebukes her for her sin because she is unwilling to repent. She, he talks about those who have committed sexual immorality with her. He speaks to those who are her children. He speaks to those who have not been contaminated by the sin, which is the group he's speaking to here. To the sexually immoral, what does he say to them? He tells them, repent, or they're going to experience great tribulation. Turn from your sin. And so listen, this, this is why this is so important for us. Because you may be struggling with some kind of sin in your life. And God is hard on that sin. And God is harsh on that sin. And judgment will come for that sin unless you repent of it. If you repent of it, there is mercy to be found. Someone said amen to that. When there is repentance, there is mercy that will come to your life. 
But if you're going to live in hypocrisy, if you're going to live in rebellion, if you are going to be one of her children, in other words, you have given into sin, you're believing either some cheap thing of grace or you're believing something, you know what, you're, you're in a bad place. Because judgment is coming to you. And however, if you're hearing these words, you know what I know is that God still calls you to repentance. And then there is this third group that is there is those who have not been contaminated. He encourages them what? He says, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. He's not asking us to do more. He's asking us to hold fast what we have. If you're in here and you're like, man, I'm not living in some, some, some flagrant, blatant sin. Look, there's encouragement for you. Just don't fall into the lies. Don't buy into the corruption. Don't give in to the deception. Continue to press on. Continue in those good works that are motivated by love. Continue in that service that is motivated by faith. Continue in that patience and perseverance by the grace of God. Hold fast is what he says to you. And if you are one that is struggling with sin, he calls you to this repentance. Verse 26, and he says, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to peace like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And so what's the first blessing that comes to those who overcome? They're going to have authority in the kingdom, in the millennial reign. That is the beginning in the kingdom to come. They are going to be part of the reign and the rule of God. Verse 28, and I will give, the, give him the morning star. Who is the morning star? Jesus Christ is the bright and morning star. And so what is he pointing to. He's pointing to eternity. He's pointing them to a, to a deeper level of intimacy that doesn't come to just every person, but it comes to those who overcome. It comes to those who stay pure from sin. It comes to those who are given to a life of repentance and submission to the will of God. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Overcomers are promised authority in the kingdom and intimacy with Christ. Overcoming will entail what? What does it mean to overcome? It means to persevere in purity. It means to persevere in good works. It means to persevere in countercultural living. Here's my closing question. Have you allowed, hear me now, have you allowed false teaching or false prophetic voices to influence you? Have you allowed false teaching or false prophetic voices to influence you? And if you say yes to that, repent today. If you say yes to that, turn to the Savior who died and who is calling you to his mercy. Don't wait for judgment to come. Don't wait to confirm this. Turn from your sin. And if you say, nope, I have not given in to false teaching, I have not given in to false prophetic words, then amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love that is great. We thank you for your mercies that are new every day. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would search us now. Search our hearts Search our hearts, Lord. If we've given in to false teaching, 
if we've given in to false prophetic voices, if we've given in, Lord God, to compromise, Lord, forgive, have mercy, cleanse us. Lord, we want to live purely before you. Your word teaches us without holiness, no one shall see you. And so, Lord, we know that this is not by works, this is by grace, but we know that your grace empowers us to work and live for your glory. And so help us, help us to bring you honor, to shine brightly for your kingdom and for your namesake. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. Amen, amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.